Hey folks, thanks for tuning in again, or for the first time, to my silly little podcast, A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole, where I ferret through my vinyl collection of about 500 records and my tiny brain of about 500 remaining brain cells and take a light-hearted, positive, fanboys look at my favourite songs and bits of songs and artists that fall within a different, pointless, set theme every episode, and I sometimes highlight some rock and roll bed shits just for some fun. It's really just an attempt to archive some stories, old YouTube interviews, and some great songs for like-minded rock music fans. Choosing from any song part or artist that has given me joy as a listener or a slight Norwegian wood as a musician. It's not a countdown, but I will leave my favourite choice for last. This is just a bit of laid-back, unnecessary fun that hopefully inspires someone to support a musician by buying some music or some merch, or listen to an old favourite album, and check out all this amazing shit that I adore, which has formed the soundtrack of my life. As a lot of people do like to share their opinions these days, please let me know if you think if I have missed anything in my record collection that I know and that I like by sending me an email at thisisnotarealemailaddress at gofeckyegoodself.cockgoblin.com. That's cock spelt with two Ks, and I'll get back to you as soon as I give a shit. But seriously, if you do want to say hi, you can hit me up and follow the podcast on Instagram and Facebook a rock and roll rabbit hole podcast or via the website a rock and roll rabbit hole.com that's com spelt with a c the website also has spotify playlist of all of the songs used in each episode past episodes as well and some other golden magic and i also have some small playlists of the great lesser known artists that i like to highlight at the end of each episode on the victims tab of the website Please rate, review, subscribe, and share the podcast. If you are digging it, that's super helpful and genuinely appreciated. Thanks again. Apologies in advance, and here goes. How's it going, everyone? Thank you so much for having a listen. So just quickly, looking behind the rock and roll rabbit hole curtain, these episodes actually do take me ages, mainly due to the research, but a big part of it is editing all of my mispronunciation, sometimes nervous talking, and the occasional stutter. The stuttering usually happens when I'm not 100% sure of what I want to say. I do handwrite some of the script, and sometimes I shoot from the hip when I kind of know what I want to say, and this is usually where the problem lies. As a tribute to my own brain's second-guessing relationship with my own mouth, Episode 58 will focus on stuttering in songs. So the song I'm talking over, apart from being probably politically incorrect these days, and still pretty funny, is Stutter Rap by Morris Minor and the Majors. Anyway, I only put stutter rap in here because John Deacon from Queen actually features in the video clip, but I reckon stutter rap is a mixture between two songs. The Beastie Boys Check It Out. And 
starter rap definitely has a tip of the hat to a weird spoken word electro euro trashy song from 1985 that actually went to number one in a bunch of countries including America, England and even Norway. Um, and the song's called 19 by Paul Hardcastle. The average age of the combat soldier was 26. In Vietnam he was 19. In, 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 in Vietnam he was 19. In Vietnam he was 19. In Vietnam he was 19. The age of London and number 13 We've all been caught in a mama mouth trap So join with us in the stir, sister, stir, 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 rap So there's a couple of horseshit examples And here's some more fluff that you'll all know that stutters Anyway, thanks again for listening. I know you all know what stuttering is, so I won't show you any more shithouse examples. And let's get into the episode. Episode 58, Stuttering. So, let's start with the most obvious one to me. And it was a single released in October 1965 and went to number two in Australia and the UK and only went to 74 in the US and... The song was named at number 11 on the Rolling Stones' Greatest Songs of All Time 500 list, but I think lists like that are stupid and pointless. So let's get on with my list. My generation was a very, very skillful bit of songwriting. It's got a bit of Bob Dylan in there, it's a bit of the Beach Boys in there, there's a bit of Johnny Cash, a bit of Bo Diddley, there's a bit of Louie Louie, there's all kinds of stuff in there because what I needed at the time was a composite that would not only hit the marketplace but would also allow the band to identify. You know, unless I'd had that line, people tried to put us down just because we get around, Keith Moon wouldn't have played on it. It had to have a kind of Beach Boys flash. It had to have something in it that would make him feel that his obsession with the Beach Boys had a part in, in, in the Who's process. And the line, I hope I die before I get old, was not something that I wrote for me or about me. It was something that I actually wrote for Roger. It was something that I felt that I wouldn't have the courage to sing, but I felt that he was, if not man enough to sing it, certainly macho enough to sing it. It was mm-hmm. a kind of, you know, an expression of a type of nihilism that I felt that he would feel comfortable expressing. Because I still feel that I hope I die before I get old. I hope, in a sense, there's a spiritual subtext to the whole thing. It is that, you know, that this life is fucking endless. Hell is doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again until you turn to dust. You know, the way to reverse that process is to go back to the source, you know, to defy atrophy, to allow your consciousness to grow, to attend to your spiritual life and your spiritual pathway. And and age, old, old is what the universe is. Young is what the, the heart is and the soul is. So in a sense, if I can own it in that way, then maybe I feel more comfortable about it. But I certainly, I don't like the idea that, that Kurt Cobain blows his brains out, you know, because he thinks that he's had instructions from um, Pete Townsend, Pop Guru. I think what that was about was is that, you know, that there was nobody there that knew how to stop him. Just because we get around Talking about my generation Please ain't do the awful Talking about my generation I hope I die before I get old Talking about my 
Don't y'all Try and dig what we all s- say. I'm not trying to cause a big s- s- sensation. I'm just talking about my t- generation. solo. Alright, let's quickly listen to Pete Townsend's demo for my generation that still has the stuttering. So jumping forward to the 80s, Poison had two starters on the one album, and that album was 1988's Open Up and Say Ah. The first offender is called Back to the Rocking Horse. The second Poison song is one I missed in episode 53, Self Name Droppers. As Brett says, well, Brett. And here's the name drop and the stutter in Good Love. Still in Trouserland, Justin Hawkins from The Darkness self-names and stutters through his own name in the cleverly titled Jussie's Girl. Start a stop in Trouser Town for now is Skid Row's Monkey Business.
Queens of the Stone Age song we heard way back in episode four's Drugs stutters through the word cocaine. quick short mid-word stutter appears in the Arctic Monkeys debut single I bet that you look good on the dance floor when he says bang ba ba bang Yeah. 
it's um, it's yeah. No, we we all sort of really enjoy playing that. And it's one of them you can like because some of the other songs that we've written since then, I guess, are a bit more like complex, and you have to kind of concentrate a little bit more and like think about singing in tune and like playing the right notes and that one. Like, like a lot of them older tunes, and like we don't play a lot of them because it feels like you can't anymore. Like whatever it took to sort of write and like play them songs when we used to isn't there anymore. And for some reason, some of them have a longer shelf life than other ones, or it sort of sometimes feels like we're doing like covers of. It feels like they're like cover songs that we play, like. Really? But we kind of. Can't do a cover of Fake Tales of San Francisco, but I think we do a clip. And an absolute favourite of mine that has poked its head up into a bunch of episodes, including being my favourite song on the Triple Up episodes, which was written in 1974 but not released until 1977. And it wasn't really a hit, it only went to number 92 in the US. And once again, nothing. So I thought I'd play a lesser-known mix of the song with cellos and some other stuff and an alternate second verse of the far-stuttering Talking Heads song, Psycho Killer. Here's a discarded second verse that I'd never heard. I passed out hours ago. I'm sadder than you'll ever know. I close my eyes on this sunny day. Say something once, why say it again? Psycho killer, qu'est-ce que Run, 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 run. So I researched the oldest stuttering or stammering song and found one from 1908 called Oh Helen by Arthur Fields. And what's super interesting to me is the song was to be released as a single, but it got yanked at the last moment, not for the stuttering and stammering, but because the name Helen was said Oh Hell, Oh Hell before he gets out the name Helen. And he sings Oh Damn before squeezing Oh Damsel out. And the words Hell and Damn were way too sweary for the times. It's actually a pretty clever lyric, 
and a good example of someone pushing some language barriers in their own time frame. So let's have a listen. And once again, it's a song by Arthur Fields from 1908 called Oh Helen. also almost calls Helen a mutt in the second chorus. I love that word, you mutt. And another old school stuttering song that I found that I really enjoyed is a song called Stuttering Blues by John Lee Hooker, recorded in 1953. When I first saw you, you almost knocked me off my feet. I couldn't ha- ha- hardly play my looking at you. Man, the cat that you mucking around with, baby, which is pretty nice to you, I believe you are, which you have to be the way you look. trip to see you. You have a phone number? So I can call you up. Uh, 
excuse me, babe, I can't k- k- get my voice out just like I want to and to to get them out. John Lee Hooker actually did stutter in real life when he talked, as did Elvis Presley, Kylie Minogue, Noel Gallagher, Simple Mind singer Jim Kerr, Chris Martin from Coldplay, Bill Withers, and obviously Ozzy Osbourne. I could listen to Ozzy Osbourne try to talk for hours. So anyway, the next one I thought of is a pop gem that stutters through the word pool. to Stacey's Mum by Fountains of Wayne to me is definitely a tip of the hat to Just What I Needed by The Cars.
Anyway, speaking of the cars, I think they have their own maybe stuttering masterpiece. And I think the first word of you might think is a stutter. Check it out here. sure this counts, but I'm going to chuck it in for attack, Cadillac and crazy mind. I fucking love Billy Joel's 70s stuff. And apologies if you've heard this interview before in a previous episode, but I may from time to time repeat some YouTube interviews because I don't know if people are listening to the old episodes or first-time listeners, and fuck you. Was it, um, was it your idea to do that uh, the staccato vocal thing, the, you know, heart attack, was that your... Yeah, I actually wanted um, an echo uh, machine to do that instead of me doing it. And I was trying to explain to Phil, I and when work it do, I can give you a heart attack. And I just saying to Phil, and it should go, ack, 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 ack. And, and he goes, why don't you just do it? Because it's going to take, you know, four hours for us to get the exact kind of the sequencing on it. So I did. And I, you know, I, this is, things like this happen, like the whistling, uh, staying in as the stranger theme, the ack, 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 trying to explain what I was looking for. And Phil said, you just did it. So... That's how that happened. And at, at the end of the song, there's sort of that car, motorcycle sound effect. That was Doug Stegmeyer's Corvette. He actually, we wanted some kind of a, uh, the sound of a car peeling out. And Doug Stegmeyer at the time had a Corvette. I don't, it was like a 60s era Corvette. And he t- took his little tape machine in the car with him and hung the microphone over the rear end of the car. And then was burning rubber and doing, you know, screeching away from uh, his, his house and that's where that sound came from that's Doug's vet doing that and then that leads into sort of that whole that Layla sort of section at the end right that sort of and to me it, that always just sort of you know the studio version just sort of fades out right as that starts to get going was that originally supposed to be a lot longer we went on and on and on uh, they they faded it out but that ending went on for as long as the Layla section. Yeah. It just went on and on. We were just having too much fun playing. We couldn't stop. And we'd look at Phil and he'd just go, nah, just keep going. Who knows how much of this we're going to use. Just go. Go with it. Did it bum you out that the final version had to be a certain length? Yeah, but it always bums me out when they have to edit something. But I think sometimes things do need editing because you can be self-indulgent too. And even though you like it, other people can start to get tired of it. Um, 
you, but you need to edit. Uh, you need and you, the the education of self-editing is a good process to learn because um, you got to learn when enough is enough and you know not be excessive. There's a man there, you know. He's the host of the show, and you'll find that he also hates saxophones. <laughs> enough of that people do know the name of the band but my experience is they go yeah um you know my sharona oh yeah that's my favorite song and my kids and my wife and you know and all of a sudden everybody's got a story about my sharona it, it seemed to us that there's nothing more natural for a rock song than for a teenage guy to be singing about trying to screw a teenage girl i mean that's what it's about when i say my name still 20 years later people stay oh like my sharona and very, very often I say, yes, I'm the same girl that the song was written about, and they can't believe it. <laughs> Burton had a drum figure that he played me. Now, he's since told me that it was only months, but I seem to remember it was a couple of years before we actually wrote the song. He, you know, beat it out on his, on his legs, showed me this drum beat. It was before he told me, uh, you know, what the riff was going to be even. He just said, I have this beat. I'd been listening a lot to the second Elvis Costello album, and there was this, this, this appeal of this kind of demented approach to rock and roll, you know, just kind of balls to the wall and slamming. And I had this riff, and I brought it into one of our rehearsals, and I just started playing it. I didn't even say, you know, um, hey, here's something. I just started playing the riff, and uh, I was telling Bruce I imagined um, no cymbals, just kind of a, a tom snare kind of thing, and he came up with the riff. My roots are very much surf music. My first band was a surf band, and there was surf stomps. And I can show you, was, you know, a, a surf stomp is like a flam thing. It's like a... Which is, which is, uh, the, basically, he wanted it to be, you know, kind of, and I interjected the flam thing, which gave it its own characteristic to it. Here it is, the only My Sharona rehearsal tape in existence. It's Burton's leg, of course. This is what we fueled everything off of, the main riff. But it, uh, when I first heard the song, I thought it stunk. I said, ah, it'll never fly. I must admit that I said, ah, nah, the song stinks. Okay, so for Beatles Corner, I found three songs. Two of them are off the White Album, and I don't really like these songs, but they're definitely stutterers. And in the first one, Paul stutters through the word my in Back in the USSR. Paul again stutters through the word chance on the equally throwaway birthday. Chance, 
And finally, a Beatles song I love, where John sort of stutters through the word I on Dig a Pony from Let It Be. I love this intro riff, and here's the live version from the Rooftop Concert. from Goodbye Ellerbury Road um, and it's a story about a girl band basically um, Benny being a female and I don't think a lot of people would know that except if you saw the illustration of course on the inside of the sleeve you would get it but if you haven't seen that you know um, you might not know it but the lyrics more or less say it it's androgynous that's uh, yeah, it's, it's that, that, yeah I think um, it preceded the Robert Palmer video of Addicted to Love which was mm-hmm. kind of I think with Benny and the Jets come to life so um Outside Stay away of from Robert that. Palmer. Huh? Outside of Robert Palmer. Robert yeah. Palmer wasn't Benny, but the girls behind the, the, were, yeah, definitely the were definitely the Jets. The Jets yeah. Because the whole idea was that the band all looked the same. And again, if you're, if, if you're going to direct or, or make a YouTube video, I would suggest that you think sort of a cross between Fritz Lang and Helmut Newton. You know, yeah. it's like that Metropolis meets... This. Yeah, the, the Helmut Newton, the girls in the big... The, right, the right. bunny girls in the stockings and the long legs. Yeah. Um, because it's a very, very sexy... Um, you can make a very sexy video, as the Robert Palmer was one, but it would, it would probably be good to be in black and white as well. If, uh, yeah, like Metropolis. Yeah. Exactly. But it's androgynous, sexy yep. science fiction. <laughs> Some action. 
Madness by Muse has a weird fluttering of stuttering that hurts my buttering. BTO, you ain't seen nothing yet. One of my greatest mistakes. <laughs> Song was not supposed to be on the album. I mixed one version to play for my brother because I was teasing him because he stuttered a little bit. And put that song aside. And when the head of our label came in to hear us and hear the album, because he always did that to see what would make it on certain radio formats, we played him the album called Not Fragile, the third BTO album. And um, he said, pretty good. I like the song Not Fragile. You guys are doing something here. I think we can call it heavy rock. Uh, I hear a band like Black Sabbath doing stuff like that, and uh, but I don't hear a single for Top 40 Radio. And I said, that's it, the album's done. He said, well, I kind of like roll on down the highway, but I really want to hear something that's going to follow, let it ride and take care of business. And I said, that's it, the album's done. We had been on the road at that time, 93 days. We had 10 days holiday, of which a week was in the studio, and then three days to visit the strangers of our life called Wife and Children who didn't know who we were, and uh, then back on the road for another 90 days. So let me just put this on. So I stuttered my way through this song. Charlie Fatch took it out and heard it. He was the head of the label, and he said, this is magic. I haven't heard anything like this on the radio. You must put it on the album. I said, you're nuts. The guitars aren't even in tune. I'm stammering and doing bad Van Morrison, Morrison impressions. I don't know what I'm doing. I, this isn't even a song. I haven't even written it. I'm just bl blurting out lyrics. And he said, no, it's charming. I, I discovered Maggie May for Rod Stewart, and that shouldn't have been a single because it was like seven and a half minutes long. Believe me, this would be a career song. And I said, what does that mean? He said, you'll be singing it every day of your life, and you'll be grateful to sing it every day of your life. That and taking care of business are going to be your songs. So uh, I relented and put it on the album, told him he was wrong. I thought it would never get any airplay. Um, it went to number one in 22 countries. It was BTO's only single million seller. We sold millions of albums, but this was like a real single. And got covered in uh, maybe 10 or 12 different languages. German, Bavarian, Finland, everybody did the song. It's been covered many times as a dance disco hit. And I'm eternally grateful to this song, take, uh, you ain't seen nothing yet in taking care of business because it's bought a lot of cornflakes for a lot of kids and a lot of gas for my cars over the years. And you ain't seen nothing yet.
Once again, I'm pretty sure I've used that clip in a previous episode. It's just getting hard to keep track of stuff because I've got about 80 hours of poop now and my brain is fried and I don't listen to stupid podcasts like this one. And if you do get annoyed by the repeats, shoot me an email at rubbishbin at rabbitholepod.com and I'll check it out as soon as possible. So speaking of repeats, we heard Guns N' Roses' Welcome to the Jungle in Last Rabbit Hole Triple Up, and here's the stutters contained within. Huey Lewis's heart of rock and roll is cheesy but stuttery. And I found another little stut in Aerosmith's Jaded. Lola around the house a lot, you know, around, out in front of my piano where I had my little upright and brought the, brought the drums in and into the house. It must have annoyed the neighbours. It was only a semi. And uh, we recorded it twice, but uh, we recorded the second one, it sounded right. And um, something bothered me about the recording. It didn't have a beginning. It just started with the guitar trickling in, ding a ding a ding a ding a ding and I went in the studio, uh, I bought two new guitars, uh, a National, which is a Dobro, a metal guitar. And lots of jazz orchestras had used, <clears throat> lots of jazz bands had used through the years. And um, bought that and a new Martin acoustic. So I stuck on the bam, bam, ba ba la ba 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 the intro that's become the signature sound to the, to the track. The thing I remember about the original recording of Lola was A, that none of the musicians really thought about what the song subject matter was, and B, uh, that signature sound at the beginning came at the last moment, and I put the cut and pasted that together in the studio. I met her in a club down in Lord 
almost takes the shaky speak cake as it stutters the word stutter and it also stutters the word poet and it was the third and last single off Extreme's excellent third album, Three Sides to Every Story. And I also love the backing vocals in Tragic Comic, correcting Gary Sharon's use of the word ain't. So as I just mentioned, Tragic Comic was the third single from Extreme's third album and the fourth single from Jimmy Eat World's fourth album, Bleed American, also muttered a stutter. That song is called A Praise Chorus and it name checks Motley Crue's Kickstart My Heart with this line. And Motley Crue's Kickstart My Heart is also a stutterer. Yeah. 
speaking of Jimmy's, as we were a minute ago with Jimmy Eat World, Michael Hutchins stutters through the name Jimmy in In Excess's duet with Jimmy Barnes in their cover of the Easy Beats Good Times. Here's a stumbler. That was You Little Thief by Fergal Sharkey, and it was actually written by Tom Petty's keyboard man, Ben Montench. Fucking fun fact. It's a lot harder and louder. I mean, I wanted to do something that was very different for me, and um, obviously that stems from the writing of the songs, so I deliberately put into the drum machines, for instance, which is always the first thing I do, something I couldn't, you know, I. If, I, if you've got the tempo that's driving you along, you know, and going like the clappers, you can't write a sort of dreamy, dreamy thing behind it. So I tended to, to try and put some up stuff in the drum machines just to sort of make me write different stuff. And songs like Susudio and Who Said I Would and Only You Know and I Know. Um, let me think. Don't Lose My Number. Things like that are all much more up stuff than I've ever done before. There's things like um, uh, Susudio, for instance, which is has no meaning at all. It was just a word that I invented. I mean, I didn't even invent, I just opened my mouth and sang it because it, it worked with the rhythm and the melody of the song. Uh, and then, I, of course, when I tried to write the words for it, I had to write something that meant something, so I sort of studio. Okay, well, now, what can I use? And I, I went you know, ages trying to find a word that would replace a studio. Eventually, backed off and I said, listen, okay, it's a studio. Now, okay, if it's going to be that, what does that mean? And then I arrived at maybe it could be a girl's name. And we've had strange, strange descriptions of what it means. I mean, various disc jockeys have thought it's a Japanese bloke with a stutter. All kinds of strange things. I can't say the word studio. I mean, it's one of those things. It just doesn't mean anything. But I've had to make it mean a girl's, be a girl's name because um, I get asked the question all the time. I'm surprised you're revealing the real truth. Oh, yes, I always come clean. Come clean, Phil, they call me. It's a fair cop.
Even the great Robert Plant drops a stutter every now and then. For me, I've, I've always um, wanted, I've always had deep questions and I've always really wanted to know um, true love. I wanted to know God. I mean, the, what they told me about, about God didn't make any sense to me growing up. You know, I wanted to have a real connection. And so, uh, without even really thinking about it, music was where I went to yearn or pray or, or long. A lot of songs came from just, just playing and, and feeling that yearning in my being for connection. Um, music was really where I found myself, or I found a piece of myself. And it was where I went to express what was going on inside in a safe place. When I was young, Logical song is, is very autobiographical um, because they did send me away. They sent me away to teach me how to be sensible. It was a good school. It was one of the best in England. And yet um, I was really more uh, unsure of who I was and uh, definitely not prepared for being an adult. <laughs> I think there's a lot, it's what's missing at school that is, for me, the loudest thing. Because we, we are taught to function outwardly, but we're not taught who we are inwardly and what really the true purpose of life is. There's very little discussion even in school. And I think, um, for me, the, the natural uniqueness and the natural awe and wonder and uh, thirst and enthusiasm and joy of life that young children have um, get lost. It gets beaten out of them in a way. Gonna be 
by Muddy Waters and the guitar riff was definitely lifted in the 80s by this strut through the stratosphere. today to talk about this song, which came out in 1982, Bad to the Bone. I did a little research on the on the, uh, background of this uh, particular statement. When I was a kid, I was in a band, I was a, in Delaware, and, I, and I, I played a lot of baseball, and I was a kid who was a couple years older than me, named Jerry Street, and I kind of lost track of Jerry, and we were playing a gig at the uh, University of Delaware when I was like in the 10th grade, and I was in a band called The Quiet Ones, and I played bass. And Jerry came up out of nowhere, and he kept saying over and over, Georgie, you, got, you really sound bad. You got a bad sound. This is, this is really bad. And I kept saying, and Jerry, what? I thought we were pretty good. And he kept saying, no, it's bad, it's bad. And then I got it. I said, bad is like the new cool or the new groovy or hip, if you can follow that. And that's what he was trying to say. So the word kind of stuck in my head. So after that, we all started using it, you know, like, um, uh, would say, uh, Sandy Koufax is great, Frank Robinson is bad. See, it was a difference. Uh, you know, uh, Paul Newman was brilliant, Lee Marvin was bad. So that kind of got into my, my head, and there was a kid in the neighborhood named uh, Mitch Perry. He would say, bad or what? And this kid would say, it's bad to death, bad to death. And I went, wow. And I'd say, wow, that's bad to death. So when we were fooling around with this riff, I started thinking, Dan, if you want to make something that works, try to use a prepositional phrase, gone with the wind, that works, bad uh, to the bone. So I started thinking about that, and I started working on it, and I always was hung up on Bo Diddley's lyrics of Who Do You Love, Rolling Stones, Don't Jump on Jack Flash, and I like those exotic lyrics, those tongue-in-cheek, you know, semi-macho fantasy lyrics um, that Bo Diddley was so good at. So once we put the song together, um, it took a while to do it. It took, took me a while to do it. We were on a 50 States, 50 Days tour in America and Alaska. We would have done 51 if Canada had been the 51st state, but I, that was a big mistake of mine not to put it in there anyway. I should have. Um, at any rate, 
we were doing that tour and I was putting the lyrics down. It took me a while. The music was fine. We had the music together. It was putting those lyrics to make sure it, to make sure. So when we finally got it done, I said, hmm, I bet this would be a great song for Muddy Waters. I want Muddy Waters to do this song. So we presented it to his management, um, fell on deaf ears. As a matter of fact, they were almost offended about by the idea. And I said, what are you, crazy, man? If Keith Richards had written that song, Eric Clapton, you would have recorded it in a minute. But I'm a nobody from Delaware, and that's where that's at. So I then presented it to Bo Diddley, who did like the song, um, but didn't have a, a record label at the time. Didn't have a record deal. So while we were on this tour, we were just rehearsing it. Never put the song on the show. This is one for the ages. We were doing a show with the Rolling Stones and the Neville Brothers in New Orleans. And I was standing backstage, a bad cold at the time, about 104 temperature, 80,000 people. I was not in good shape. It's the 44th date on the 50-50 tour, and this small man comes up to me and starts chattering away. Uh, what are you doing, George? George, what are you doing? You're all about me. I didn't know who he was. Big mistake on my part. He said, um, are, are you writing any songs? And I said, well, yes, I am. I'm, uh, matter of fact, I'm, I'm trying to write some material. And he said, well, if any of them are like bone, you're going to do fine. I went, bone. I was like, oh, bad. I said, how do you, how do you, I've never performed, I only did it in sound checks. How, how do you know I'm doing a song all bad to the moan? He said, George, it's my business to know. Oh, by the way, I'm David Geffen. And I don't think there's any stuttering in Jason Mraz's pile of hit, I'm Yours, but he's a way more annoying song where he repeats every fucking word of the song, including the word stutter. And the song's called Hearing Double. get the shit show. Before I get to my favourite stuttering song, here's Bill Burr talking about the famous Jason Mraz song. So then I go into this pizza parlor. You know, I order a slice of pizza and I go, oh, look at that Coke. Can I get one of the Coke? Yeah, it's that Coke from Mexico where they have the real sugar. Oh, yeah? They have real sugar? What do we have? Ah, we have the fake sugar here. Yeah, the Mexican Coke is better. You know, one of those NAFTA moments. Like... How the fuck doesn't the United States of America have the best fucking Coca-Cola? That's our shit. How does Mexico have better Coca-Cola than us? I don't, I don't get it. How did the fuck, how did that happen? Is that because old Slick Willie signed NAFTA? Is that what he did? Is that, is that the part of his soul that he had to sell so they, they, they'd put him in office? These fucking assholes, they're all the goddamn saying. They're all a bunch of sellouts, Democrat or Republican. These fucking idiots walking around with signs or watching CNN or Fox News, you morons. You're going to get the same result. They're going to, Democrat or Republican, they're dropping to their knees and they're blowing the bankers. All right, so enough with your fucking debates. So anyway, so I go in there and I go, let me get a slice of pizza and I'll get evidently the imported Coca-Cola. You, you realize how fucked up that is? That's like if the Guinness tasted better over here than it did in Ireland. That doesn't make any fucking sense whatsoever. 
So anyway, so I walk in there and this stupid ass song. I, I, I didn't know the name of the song. I just know I've heard it in elevators. I've seen it on television. I've seen it in commercials. I hear it in malls. I can't get away from this fucking song. This song sucks. On, on, unbelievably, on so many fucking levels, everywhere I go, this stupid ass song is playing. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this. There's no way that you, you haven't heard this song. Here it is. Ah, shut the fuck up, you fucking douche with a ukulele. Oh, Jesus Christ, that's that's the Animal House moment. John Belushi should be walking down a flight of stairs to that guy and then smashing the shit out of his guitar. Except this time he shouldn't say sorry. And he should smash it over this guy's fucking head. Sorry. I'm in a bit of a mood. <clears throat> why is that song so popular? You know why it is? Because that song moves through your head like fucking air. All right? Comes in one ear and it goes right out the other. And you are left with zero thoughts. Listen to this fucking thing. You tell me, okay, if you're actually trying to fucking live any sort of a meaningful life, how in the fuck can you do it when there's shit like this in the background? Jackie, I'm wearing fucking sandals and no one gives a shit. Um, I'm yours, I'm yours. Ugh. That's one for the vaginas. You know, download that right to your fucking twat. He wasn't even trying to make guys fans. There's a smart man right there. I bet he's worth... What do you think he's worth this day and age in the music business? Dude, if you have me tied to a chair while waiting for a delayed flight playing that music, that is my Guantanamo Bay. Right there. I'd rather be fucking waterboarded than listen. Well, who's getting who? I don't want to slowly drown for an hour. But, you know, I would consider it. I can ha 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 play my one looking at you. Priest, priest, I mean, I mean, get you know, get rid of. I mean, 
boy. I like, I like my, I love. So my favourite stuttering song has to be a song released in 1971 and it hardly charted, only going to number 66 in the US. Nothing in Norway. So here we're going to listen to some of the stuttering demo, then you'll hear some of the stuttering chorus in Changes by David Bowie. Thanks again for listening. You know what to do. See ya.